0: This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest, Paige Van Zant. And for those that don't know Paige, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Paige is a mixed martial art and former UFC fighter who recently just signed with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. We're gonna talk a little bit about that as well. And after spending much of her life dancing, Paige started MMA and was signed by the UFC in 2013 as one of 11 women competing in the newly developed strawweight division. In addition to her success in the ring, she has also uh, finished as second runner or first runner runner-up in Dancing with the Stars season 22. Uh, She won an episode of Chopped, which is one of my favorite shows, uh, which we have talked about, modeled for Sports Illustrated, and has a huge social media and YouTube following. Uh, Paige is also a victim of high school bullying. She detailed her battle with that in her 2018 book, Rise, Surviving the Fight of My Life she's married to UFC fighter Austin Vanderford and I had the privilege of meeting Paige just a couple of weeks ago and so I'm so excited to welcome her to the Resilient Life podcast Paige welcome to the show hi thank you so much for having me on yes i'm as i was telling you before we we kicked off i'm so excited that I was able to have you on as a guest after we met and after I got to attend my first fight. Like, I feel like I'm part of the world now and I can speak to it um, a little bit. So I'm excited about that. But I think what I'd love to do is just start from the beginning, because I think you have such a unique path to Mm -hmm. um, where you are now. Uh, You grew up in Oregon, correct?
1: Yes, grew up in Oregon. I lived there until I was 15. And then me and my family moved to Nevada for a short time. And then I moved all over the place after that for fighting.
0: And as you were growing up, you were a dancer. That was that was your thing.
1: Yes. So my my parents owned a dance studio. So they owned a dance studio until I was, they sold it when I was started in, I think in middle school. I was pretty young when they decided to sell it to stay home with the family. My mom wanted to stay home with the family, but um, dance starting since the age of two. So I, I was born, definitely born into it.
0: And you're a dancer. And, and I think one of the most interesting things is you're a dancer, which is, you know, f- you think of dancers as graceful and, um you know, a much different sport than mixed martial arts. So how do you take the dive from dancing? And, and are you at one point thinking like, if you're dancing from the age of two, and and I, I've I seen you dance on Dancing with the Stars, like you look like you're one of the professional dancers. on. Dan- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you can't tell the difference between you and the actual professionals. So you're a very good dancer. How do you go from there to saying, all right, I'm, I'm done with dancing. Do you burn out and then decide to try something new?
1: There definitely was a few reasons. A, a big reason was I got burnt out. I decided um, when I was in high school, I was like, oh, maybe I wanna be more involved because I was a competitive dancer and I traveled the whole United States dancing and I did like professional dance work for commercials, for different, um, like I danced for Nike, for Columbia Sportser and all of that was as a kid so when we moved from Oregon to Nevada I was like you know maybe I want to try something else but dance was a natural fit so I I went into dance studios and there just wasn't the same level of competition there's a huge competitive dance world in Portland but in Reno Nevada (laughs) there isn't and I went into the dance studios and I actually got like offered four jobs to be a dance teacher when I was 15. And that's why I was like, okay, I got to do something else. And my dad was the one who got me into and convinced me to actually go try my first MMA class.
0: That's crazy because I have a fifteen-year-old daughter, and just the thought of like saying, "Hey, you should go fight, do some mixed <laughs> martial arts," you know, and just knowing the the rigor that it takes to do that. And so you step in at what age fifteen? You start trying out mixed martial arts right am i calling that right it's yes
1: mixed martial arts yes so i walked into there's different like disciplines and backgrounds so mixed martial arts is a mixture of all the martial arts so uh there's like wrestling boxing muay thai um the gym i walked into specifically was an mma gym not like a jujitsu gym or a striking gym so i was fortunate enough i went straight into mma and uh, my coach at the time, which is so weird, like looking back, he absolutely is a legend, like one of the most world-known MMA fighters ever. His name's Ken Shamrock, and at the time, I had absolutely no idea who he was. So I think I made it a little easier because I was like, "Eh, he's just some teacher. I'm gonna go try his class." And now looking back, I'm like, "Wow, my first instructor ever was a legend, and he's in the Hall of Fame. He's." you know, this really big deal. Yeah. My, my parents, although it seems weird to like say the transition from dance to MMA, but it totally made sense with who I was. Like I grew up in the country riding dirt bikes. I was on the shooting team for my parents fighting fit. It totally made sense for me to be in it.
0: And are you a natural at it when you first enter or is there a big learning curve for you?
1: I would say I was definitely a natural. I've always been very athletic. So picking up sports was super easy for me. There was a transitional period that I even still to this day, like habits that, you form, that I formed as a young dancer that I'm currently still trying to break. Like I would stand up really tall. I'd have my chin super high, like all those things that I drilled into my mind in ballet class. Uh, switching over to fighting, you have to break because you're not supposed to have your chin up in the sky. And um, so there was, there was a few things, but I would say dance. And especially because I was so, so dedicated to it. um, The flexibility helped me. I was very powerful. I was known in dance for like my jumps. So I could jump like a million feet high and that obviously the athleticism in my legs helps for fighting. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I want to talk more about your, your fighting career mm-hmm. and where you are today, but I also think it's important to talk a little bit about some of the things you, you went through in high school. So, um, in 2018, as I said, you released a book called Rise, Surviving mm-hmm. the Fight of My Life, and you were involved in a um, a brutal sexual assault uh, in high school. and. I've heard you speak about it and I think one of the things that stuck out to me so much was you talked about your thoughts of suicide and you said something that was so poignant you said I didn't want to die but I didn't feel that pain
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know hearing those words it speaks so much to the epidemic that's happening today with suicide and and mm-hmm. being able to reach out for help and reach out and share the pain that you're feeling. And I commend you so much for sharing your story because I think it's important for people to know and, and see people like you have, mm-hmm. who have gone on to do so much that like you went through this really hard time and you struggled. and And I'd love to know some of the things that you did that helped you work through that period in your life?
1: Yeah. You know, and I think a a big reason I did want to share it is I feel like people look at, you know, now I'm on TV, I fight professionally and um, the things you share on social media, I feel like people don't realize like that's totally fake. Like social media is like the most perfect image of you that you share. So there's this whole story behind the people that you look up to and, I wanted to be able to show that I went through a story that absolutely any girl could have gone through, and I grew up in a very small town in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, I was super lucky that I did make it, but I wanted to make me making it worth it and make it for a purpose. So yeah, I went through a very traumatic um, episode in um, high school, and I wrote the book about it and for me too I feel like why it was so important to write a book is at that time I and I wrote about it there wasn't anybody I felt like I could talk to and although me and my mom are my mom's my best friend it was still I didn't even feel comfortable going to her about it so through that period I would write a little bit and I would journal and I would keep poems and just writing helped get some of the words out but it wasn't until we moved my parents knew how how bad i was being bullied but it wasn't until we moved that my mom i had written some terrible things on like the edge of my bed i was like scribbling on my headboard and that i wanted to die and that's when my mom was like okay hey, we got to get her some help and i'm really lucky that she did she got me into counseling and i she still didn't know what happened i still didn't have the nerve to tell her so that was something i had to work through telling my mom when the book came out, which was traumatic too, but it was a really big healing process, especially because then my mom could understand like why I was battling these demons at that age.
0: Such a pivotal time for an individual, like going Mm -hmm. through those teenage years and, you know, to be compounded by bullying and a traumatic event. um, You know, I, again, I think back to my 14-year-old daughter who's in her freshman year of high school. And and I know that these next four years, while they're going to be some of the most amazing years of her life, they're going to be some of the most challenging years of mm-hmm. her life too. It's it's really kind of when you're finding yourself. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I think about that. It's so hard for us. And how can we get to a place where and and, and I think you writing this book helps that with like, how can we get kids to a place to feel like it's okay. It's okay to turn Mm -hmm. and say something and talk and and express those feelings, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think too, a big part of what I wanna express to girls is like, I feel like we're raised, you never wanna hurt somebody's feelings. So you're raised to kind of put up with the uncomfortable because you don't wanna cross the line and hurt, you just don't wanna hurt somebody's feelings. And you feel too like, consider it to speak up for yourself whereas i think that's where girls need to change if you feel uncomfortable then you leave like it doesn't matter the situation it doesn't matter what's going on if you have that you have to listen to that feeling inside of you because i had that feeling inside of me and i didn't listen and that's that's where things went wrong is i didn't listen to that higher power saying hey you're in a bad situation and you need to leave and i want to make sure girls guys anybody uh, you need to put your comfort first, and if you're ever in a like a dangerous situation, and you're like, I don't know if I should be here. You probably shouldn't, and you just have to speak your truth and say, Hey, I, I think I need to go home. And a lot of uh, that would help a lot of situations.
0: Yeah, and it's that peer pressure, and I and I watched mm-hmm. an interview with you on Good Morning America, and and the interviewer said to you, When did you know that night that you were in a bad situation? You said, As soon as I walked through the door, and. Mm-hmm but I didn't leave. And it's like, again, getting back to those, like those years are so pivotal because it's like your self-confidence, you're developing in it. And, and, you know, we do a lot at the Travis Mannion Foundation. We run a character program and it's all about helping kids identify their character strengths and letting Mm -hmm. them know that like, it's not about developing your character tomorrow. It's about today, like having, being able to identify your character strengths, being able to be, you know, have integrity, be determined, have some grit and, and working through that right now. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about doing the right thing, even when no one's looking right. And no Mm -hmm. make those choices and having the moral courage to say like, you know, I shouldn't be here or this isn't the right thing. And, but it's that fine balance between like, I always say like, Having living a life of character isn't always in high school. It's not like the cool thing, right? Yep. So you've got this, like, um, seesaw about like, I want to fit in, but I want to do the right thing. And like, how can you just drive those kids to empower them? And, um, and I think you did that beautifully in your book. And, and again, I, I commend you for coming out and, and sharing your story. Um, your book is definitely one that my daughter will be reading. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's just so important that we share our stories, because I think by sharing our stories, that's how we can help others. And, um, and you've done that so well. So Thank you. When when you're going through this, you have not started fighting yet, right? You're still in the dancing world
1: still in the dance world. So I was a freshman in high school when all this happened. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I wanna be more involved in my school. And that was absolutely a mistake. Um, but I did, which, it, but it shouldn't be. Like I, me wanting to try out for cheerleading and create actual friends in high school should be a good thing. But um, yeah, I, so I had made varsity cheerleading as a freshman and already there was just kind of a group of girls that didn't really like that and they targeted me and so i was extremely bullied but it wasn't until after the sexual assault that the bullying got so much worse that's when they actually targeted me for it saying that i was these terrible things trying to call me like names but it's like how can a whole school of people know that that happened to me and not want to like not want to help so i think that's why I was like, you know what, you need to speak up now because I was so targeted then that I feel like if other kids go through this, it the people around them are so caught up in their own lives to realize like how bad that you're struggling and how bad that you're being hurt. Um, yeah, but I I did, didn't start fighting until um, almost a year later.
0: So when you step onto the mat the first time, you know, first practice, first time you're in in the room trying MMA, are you taking that pain and that hurt with you out on the mat? Like, does that is that part of the process? And and did that play a role? And in, in I don't want to say why you were successful, but like, mm-hmm. do you use that to empower you?
1: Uh, it's kind of a weird, like a weird parallel for me. Um, I didn't definitely didn't start fighting to learn how to fight back. I didn't start fighting um, to like find my strength, which I totally did later. But the reason I went into the gym and the reason I stayed is because there wasn't a single other girl in the room. And that's who was hurting me. Like, yes, I went through a terrible traumatic thing that men did to me. But what made it go on for so long, like the pain was girls making fun of me and girls picking on me and every time I walked into a room and it's still something I struggle with, I'm wondering like, okay, are these girls going to like me? I couldn't care less if the guys do, but I just want a girl to be my friend and to like me. So walking into the MMA gym, I was like, there's my girl here. Nobody's going to judge me here. It felt like a safe space. And even though I, it felt somewhat safe, I still had extreme PTSD and I feel so bad for my coaches because they'd just be teaching me like a move where they were on top of me and I would have a panic attack and I would start crying and falling and I would run into the bathroom and cry. And I absolutely don't know why I stuck with fighting because fighting like those demons being like held down, just drilling, but then like going through this like crazy, um, like memory and just complete panic attacks. But for whatever reason, my coaches stuck with me and, um, told me that I had potential to go far. And I was able to fight through a lot of that stuff.
0: Wow, it's, it's pretty incredible. So I wanna talk about like your first fight. Well, well, let's talk about this. I watched, I, I, I was watching a ton of your fights and I, I saw a lot of your fights with the UFC, but I saw one and <laughs> I don't think it was UFC. It was with um, Courtney Hines. Is Mm -hmm. that familiar? And Mm -hmm. was that, that wasn't UFC yet, was
1: it? No, it wasn't. I would, that may have been my last fight before I got signed to the UFC.
0: Okay. Well, I can see from that fight why the UFC signed you because (laughs) I watched that fight and you walked out and, and I love your demeanor. Like, you're tough, but you're also not like putting on this, like act, like no <laughs> hard, you know, you've got almost a little smile on your face and you can't tell like, is she smirking? Or like, you're just a happy person, right? And so mm-hmm. your opponent came out, Courtney, and she looked really tough. I mean, she yeah. <laughs> music going on and um, I don't know. You know, it was one of those things where like, if I was judging, I'd be like, oh, that girl's going to win. She looks yep. rude. <laughs> And in there and, um, you ended up winning by submission. You, you choked her out and she was so mad. Like she was not happy that she lost to you. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: as I was watching the fight, I, you know, again, I've shared with you my, Insight into mixed martial arts is very limited. I have a friend, a dear friend, Brian Stan, who fought in the MMA and, or in the UFC, and I watched him um, fight, and it was very hard mm-hmm. because he was my friend, and I'd have to cover my eyes. And but you know, we always supported him and bought the fight. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was watching your fights, I started to really get a real understanding of how technical. Um, mixed martial arts is. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it's so technical. Everything from just the way you're using the cage, like you're using the cage to actually work yourself out of positions. Like you've got your feet up on the fence and it's, it was fascinating to me just Mm -hmm. diving into that world Um, and watching again, like everything from the, what you're doing with your legs and you know, there it's it's not just boxing. You're not just there using your arms. Like you're doing one thing with your hands and another thing with your legs, and it all has to be, yep. <laughs> or you could get caught. And you know, I was I was amazed by watching that, and and I could see, um, again with my limited expertise, I was like, oh, this is this is why she's been so successful. I mean, you you just everything you were doing, you could tell how much you understood the sport. And so it was really interesting to watch that. So that was your, you think that was your last fight before the UFC? And is that just like an Mm -hmm. amateur
1: league? No, so they're all pro fights. I actually only had one amateur fight and I went straight, straight into pro. But, um, so it's all pro level. And then you're just waiting to get signed by like a big promotion. And so that was right before I finally got signed. And you get signed
0: to the UFC and, and it's the, this is a newly, developed division, right? For the UFC. And was, were there females fighting in the UFC before this?
1: There was the only weight class that was in the UFC was Ronda Rousey's weight class at the time. And that's 135. And I fought at 115, which was basically two weight classes lower. Okay.
0: And so this division is developed and you get the call. Yep. And what are you thinking? Are you like, I made it? this is it. So
1: I still kind of had like throughout my whole career it's like I always have these great great final successes eventually but there's always like a few frustrating like things that I have to work through. So before I got signed to the UFC, I got a call from them saying they wanted me to compete on what's called The Ultimate Fighter and that's a re- reality show where you fight on the reality show and I- Pretty much everybody, all the girls who fought on the show got signed to the UFC eventually. But you had to go through the whole reality show, which is a big deal and it's a huge honor to be invited to the reality show. And um, I get invited, but I was 19 at the time and the, because it's um, a reality show, they have alcohol in the house and they want the drinking and the drama. And then I get a call later and they're like, oh, well, actually, you can't be on the Ultimate Fighter because you're only 19. So I got kicked out. And I had to wait until that Ultimate Fighter was completely done filming, until they had their whole thing over with, and hope that the UFC still wanted to sign me. Um, And they did. They ended up signing me. And I had my first fight not until I was 20. And I think my fight before that was 18 months prior. So I was 18 when I fought Courtney Himes. And then. I wasn't until I was 20 that I actually got to fight again. And
0: what happens in your first UFC fight in your debut with the UFC?
1: So that was pretty awesome. Um, going into my first UFC fight, I absolutely thought I was like, all right, this is the only time I'll ever get to do this. And even though I knew I, I signed a four fight contract, but I was going into it like this could be the last fight of my entire career and I need to make it worth it. So walking out, I'm 20 years old, this like really young young girl, but I was just trying to just take taking the moment and like live it, live for the moment that I was in. And I ended up um, having an amazing back and forth fight, me and this girl, it was, it was back and forth the whole card. Like if it would have went to the decision, it could, any of us could have won it. Um, but I ended up getting a TKO in the third round and winning. And then because it was such a good fight, uh, we ended up getting the fight of the night bonus, which is, uh, $50,000 each. So it was like light, I completely life-changing. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. And so I, I've talked about, I had, uh, another guest on a friend of mine who's an actor and, you know, we were, we were talking about like that moment when you make it. And mm-hmm. so you get signed to the UFC, you go out your first fight, you win you get fight of the night i mean Mm -hmm. is that the moment for you where you're just like oh my gosh this is it i'm i'm moving forward like this is this is everything right now
1: i think other people knew it for me i didn't necessarily know at the time for me i just went out there and i fought and i was like oh i had a good fight and um someone was in the ufc's pr department came and they're like hey uh like girl, like you just made waves, like you did so good. And, um, told me that I was trending on Twitter. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what is trending on Twitter mean? And they're like, do you have a Twitter? I'm like, no, I don't. And then they, they're like, okay, girl, we got to get you a Twitter. We got to like, take this seriously. And then I was like, okay, well, I was just kind of, I'm still 20 years old. I still, I had a job at 24 hour fitness and I was still like a person who cleans the weights off. So it was definitely after after that fight, I did make it, but it, it didn't set in until, I don't know, maybe like now looking back and I was like, okay, that, that was like a big moment in my life.
0: Now, were your parents at your fight, your first fight? They,
1: mm -hmm, They were. So the crazy thing about the first fight is, uh, you don't expect to stay the whole fight card. So I was the second fight of the night second fight ever they didn't even stream my fight on tv it was just on fight pass online um second fight and then i just had my fight outfit i came ready to fight and then go out to dinner with my family and they made me stay all the way until after the main event so i could go to the press conference and they don't really do that for people who are on the undercard and they're uh, me to stay for the press conference so i had to wear my bloody fight outfit for like eight hours and just sitting in the back in my fight outfit because I didn't bring any other clothes and my poor like parents were stuck at the hotel just kind of like waiting for me because they just really wanted to see me after like this huge victory and so after yeah after the press conference you can see me jump off stage and I take off running and I ran like five blocks to my hotel so I could see my parents and like hug them and eat pizza with them. Yeah, took off running. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And, and how I'm sure it's probably gotten better, but
0: like, how are your parents with watching you? So my brother was a, (laughs) he was a, a a division one wrestler at Navy. Uh I've watched my brother wrestle since he was five years old. And It was so, just like it was hard for me to watch Brian Stan fight in the UFC, watching my brother wrestle was even harder. And Uh just like, that's my brother out there and I don't want him to get hurt. And like, that's the the idea of these sports, you know, mixed martial arts wrestling, it's so intense because it's one person against another, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, as a parent, I can't imagine my my son just started wrestling last year, my six-year-old son, and he's wrestling in the same uh-huh. program that my brother did. And he went out for his first match. And my my son, his name's Travis too, you met him. And yep. uh-huh. he's a big kid. He's big for his age. And they match up by weight, not by age. So uh-huh. he goes out to his first match, he's five years old, and the kid who walks out on the match or on the, the mat with him. I mean, this kid's got, like, he's got, like, a six-pack and a rat tail. And I'm, like, oh. oh, no. And my son's looking at me, like, hi, Mommy. And I'm, like, oh, <laughs> And the fight starts, and the match starts, and Travis just gets, like, knocked over and pinned in, like, three seconds flat. Uh-huh. I was, like, thank God, it's over. And Travis <laughs> comes to me after, and he goes, did I win? And I'm, like, you did great, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the our coach. And I said, how old was that kid? He was like, oh, he was seven. My kid's five at the time. And I'm like, uh-huh. big developmental difference, you know, mm-hmm. again, getting back, like it was so hard to watch him out there and being so vulnerable. Like, how do your parents feel? How did your parents feel about that then? And has it changed now? Like, have they been able to adapt to watching their little girl, you know, in the ring?
1: um it absolutely has not changed my dad loves me fighting absolutely loves it and goes to every single fight like totally supportive um my mom is very supportive but like hates it cannot go to the fights there's only been a few fights that she's actually been at and um oh, she absolutely hates it. So I definitely anticipate her not going, now that I do the bare knuckle, bare knuckle boxing with BKFC, uh, I definitely don't see her being there. She might be in the state, but she does not go to the fights. I I get that. And I, I
0: understand that. And I think that uh, I would probably be the same exact way. So, Mm -hmm. so let's talk about where you are today, because super interesting and, you know, we're a part of it too through the, the foundation that I run. Um You're in the UFC and how many fights in your UFC career? How many times did you fight?
1: Um, oh, gosh, is- I think at least 10. Okay. So somewhere, somewhere around there. And when was your last
0: UFC fight?
1: It was in It was this year. It was at the, yeah, maybe January sounds right, but uh, I'm not sure.
0: And why do you decide that you don't want to fight with the UFC or you're looking to try something new? Like, is there something pivotal that happens? Is it more about trying something different? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit.
1: So there's, I think it was a few reasons. Um, Through my UFC career, I had extreme success towards the beginning. I was doing really, really, really well. Um, The last few years have been really frustrating and kind of just a lot of um, setbacks, I would say. So I broke my arm in a fight and totally shattered it. And then I it took two surgeries to fix, um, which is partly my fault because I broke it in the second round and I kept fighting and I fought the whole third round with a broken arm and I'm sure I made it worse. And two surgeries to fix the first break and then I broke it again in training, um, fought once and won, which was great, but then I broke it again in training. So I've had three arm surgeries to fix four broke four broken arms. And um, it's been, yeah, a very frustrating Very frustrating journey and you know, it's hard because as professional athletes, you kind of expect like I was on Dancing with the Stars, I've done all this amazing stuff and I do have a huge following and fan base, but um, professional football players and professional basketball players and all these other sports, they make enough money to do their sport and if they get injured, they can retire and still live comfortably and actually live their life fighters, if we get hurt and are forced to retire, I was going to have to go back to get a real job, go to school, go figure something else out because we just don't make enough money to support ourselves. And there's definitely not enough money in it to um, have like support yourself and then also save enough money to retire. So I think that was a big reason I tested and it wasn't even that I wanted to leave the UFC, I was just ready to test free agency And what that means is I fought out my contract to where um, I wasn't under contract with the UFC anymore. So the UFC offered me another contract and um, a few other really amazing organizations, Bellator, who my husband fights for, they offered me a contract. Um, Some organizations overseas offered me contracts. And then I got the offer from Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. And you know, through, the frustration like yes I'm still very passionate about MMA but because I had so much like putting your whole heart and soul into something and not being successful hurt like it's really hard and um I had so much struggle with MMA the last few years with breaking my arm I was like you know what maybe I do need to step away from MMA for a little while and um bare knuckle fighting championship offered me a contract and I was like you know what I think this is what I want to, I think I want to do something else. Like it's a whole new passion. It's not a move backwards for me. It's a complete move laterally to where I'm in a brand new sport with new opportunity. And, um, obviously I love the organization. I love what they stand for the things they represent the partnerships that they have. So, um, even though I did have very comparable offers with other organizations this is the one I was like, you know what, this is, this is the one I'm passionate about. So that's how I ended up signing with them.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about bare knuckles. So bare knuckle fighting yeah. <laughs> is, um, it's a league that is exactly as the name, uh, says it's a, it's bare knuckle fighting. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, when I first learned about the league it was because my, my friend is the ceo uh kevin kelly and uh he introduced me to dave feldman the president and at first i was like bare knuckle fighting i'm like eh, i don't you know that sounds very <laughs> cool and i read this article on bare knuckle fighting championship and that's what kind of solidified it for me because it was actually talking about that that bare knuckle fighting brings it back to the evolution of this entire industry of mixed martial arts. Like everything began with bare knuckle fighting and this, the sport, this is how everything developed from this. So it's kind of bringing it back to its roots. And there's also a lot of talk about, you know, the, um, you hear a lot about like the the head traumas that that take place through mixed martial arts and and you know the, the knees to the head and bare knuckle fighting now listen it's it's a little bloody I'm, i, I yeah. just came back from my first fight but it's all very superficial mm-hmm. and you know if you can deal with some bumps and bruises and and a little blood it's actually a safer sport than some of the other stuff in terms of the long-term effects that, yep. and, and and actually, I'll tell you, like, Brian Stan, it was his last fight where he said his head had been, and he was a football player, too, at Navy, a Division one football player, and then he goes into the UFC, and so, you know, his brain's getting tossed around a lot inside that head, yep. and his wife actually said, like, that's it, no more, you know, yep. you're done, and so, um so once I learned more about what bare knuckle fighting was all about, I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. I'm I'm into this and and I love the idea that it's, you know, again bringing it back to the roots of of what this whole sport is about. This and um and for us as an organization, you know, again, I hadn't heard of it. My friend Kevin calls me, tells me about what it is and I'm like, okay. And so I start asking friends that are, you know, serve in the military. I'm like, Hey, have you ever heard of bare knuckle fighting championship? Oh my God, we love that. Like, so <laughs> it's a big following in the military community. And, um, so, th- so, you know, fell in love with it even more. And I traveled down, um, to the first fight on September 11th. And I was there, um, where, the dave Feldman, the president announced the partnership with the travis mm-hmm. foundation and leading up to going to that fight i was kind of nervous because i'm yeah. like, oh gosh, I, I i'm gonna be sitting ringside i have to make sure i'm not doing one of these the whole time you know? <laughs> and i'm like well at least i'll have a mask on so people won't see me like i can just cringe with my mouth you know they won't see the full cringe factor but I loved it. I loved the, Mm energy. I loved everything about it. And I watched the whole time. Like I couldn't take my eyes off of it and just going in and watching the different techniques between, um, the fighters. And, you know, you'd see the ones that were like the bulldogs that never stopped. They didn't necessarily have Uh best technique, but they just came in and were just throwing haymakers at another guy who was very technical and, and, I remember looking at my dad and I'm like, listen, that guy doesn't necessarily have all the skill, but he lays one of those haymakers on the guy with the son. <laughs> and so it's just so funny to see the different ways that mm-hmm. the athletes compete. Um, and so I'm really excited. I know you're going to be, mm-hmm. it looks like fighting coming up in November. Yep. Yeah. Um I'm so excited to watch you fight. You're probably going to be hard for me to watch. I'm not going to lie. (laughs) That's okay. Personal connection with, you know, the people that I watched on September 11th. But you're going to be another Brian Stan for me. Yeah. (laughs) I love her. I don't want anything to happen to her. But one of the most interesting things I saw is because I tracked a lot. You know, when you signed with Bare Knuckle, that was Mm -hmm. in August, right?
1: Yes. Now all the months are running together, but yes, <laughs>
0: late August. And uh-huh. when you sign, I mean, it was a big deal. It's still a big deal. Hmm. Uh, you're probably the largest name that bare knuckle fighting championship has signed to date. And, and it was, it, it kind of rocked the, the MMA world, you know, I'm it definitely thing. and, and, and one of the things that was this common thread but it all became about your looks and if you were any dude in the ufc that signed with bare knuckle it wouldn't be about it wouldn't be about anything but like was this the right move this was all about like how could paige sign with bare knuckle fighting she's so pretty and i'm like oh my god i can't believe that this is the conversation that's being had and I loved your response to it. You're like, "I'm not worried about scars. like I'm mm-hmm. it, you kind of just erased the whole conversation and but but talk to me about that because I mean, mm-hmm. again, you felt that. i mean that that's the common theme. It was just about like we can't mess up this pretty girl's face."
1: Oh, definitely. And that's kind of the the story behind my entire career is the entire time I was in the UFC there were, there was the questions and it's always the media, like the media is the one who makes these stories. And it's like, you guys have to think of a different storyline because it was, Oh, when are you going to quit? Like, how long are you going to be doing this? When is Hollywood going to take page? Like all these, and it's like, you would never say that if it was a dude. And I don't understand why some people are celebrated in the sport. Like, Oh, you're bringing burials barriers cuz you look different but why can't i like there's girls that look just like me that wanna fight and can be successful athletes and the transition over to bare knuckle and i already had my mind made up that i wanted to sign with bare knuckle fighting championship and the contract was there but then i had some people saying like no how how could you do that like your husband's crazy if he lets you lets you sign with but I think people like are mis- so mis um, misled by the bare knuckle. Like, yeah, you can get cut open more, but you can also get stitched back up. Like, getting cut open, it's not a long term injury. And for me, fighting is—it's not. I'm not doing it for attention. I'm doing it because I love it. Like, if I wanted to do something for attention, there's so many other easier job choices out there, and then fighting somebody in a ring. So for me. If you were a true fan and if you were truly supported me, you would understand that I'm going from MMA where obviously I've had broken my arm four times and I had surgery three times. I, I keep getting injured in it because I, you know, have hardware in my arm. I have, I'm just dealing with a lot of issues. And if you're a true fan, you know.
0: You're, I mean, the idea of how you're breaking your arm in, in UFC isn't going to happen in bare knuckle fighting.
1: Like, exactly, it, it completely alleviates. Place, yeah. It totally alleviates the injury factor for me. I get to go into this where I'm not getting kicked in the arm, I'm not getting kneed in the arm, I'm not wrestling and like posting on my arm and breaking it. So it's gonna give me no matter what. I'm I'm signed to bare knuckle for a year, and I have this whole year for my arm to continue to heal, and I won't get injured. And yeah, I could get cut open, but that's not being injured. Like getting cut open doesn't take you out of your sport at all. I can continue to do this and can continue to compete and I won't have these long frustrating layoffs that no athlete wants to be injured. And I, this is such a low injury, injury sport. Like, yes, you can get hurt, but it, it, they're not long-term injuries. And
0: also important. The other thing I saw that was interesting is when I Googled your name and Googled UFC, one of your fights actually comes up as the bloodiest fight in UFC history. So, and, and I'm like, this is so interesting. They don't want her to go to bare knuckle, but her fight now comes up in a search engine as the bloodiest fight in UFC history. And I'll tell you, like, when I watched that fight, there were, I think, eight or nine bouts. And listen, most of them produced some blood. But guess what? I saw all of those undercards sitting in the stands with a cold beer watching the other fight like you said like they were they were hurt but they weren't long-term injuries they had some bumps and bruises and some cuts but you know they were they were enjoying the rest of the night and yeah
1: yeah and that's so true is you know when you go to these bare knuckle cards you notice the athletes they get to compete and then they can come watch not they're not getting most of them aren't getting carted off to the hospital where you can guarantee every single UFC card, somebody goes to the hospital. There's always somebody who has something that needs to go, some serious injury that needs to get looked at. And of course, to speak to like, I did get cut open and guess what? My career kept going. And I don't think I look that much different with, you know, the small cut that I have under my eye.
0: I spent a lot of time with you and we took a lot of pictures and I didn't even notice. So (laughs) like, what what's the saying like the star, scars are are stories right it's a story mm-hmm. and you know i have a scar on my leg a, a large scar that um i talk about it in the book i wrote and and um i got that scar because i was actually running from the cops when i was in high school um uh-huh. party uh that they showed up at and we all ran and i was running with my brother and i fell and split my leg open and I required stitches um, a lot. Oh, no. And I didn't want to tell my parents. So my brother and I covered it up and I've got this scar, but like this scar is my story. And like every time I look at it, I'm reminded of that night with my brother. And so yep. <laughs> you know, I-, I love that idea. One of the, One of the things that I found that was so interesting at the fight that I went to was the camaraderie I saw. And I don't think that you fully can experience that if you're not there. Mm -hmm. And to see these fighters, like, literally come at each other and give everything for those minutes. And and a lot of ours were, you know, because I've heard that most, a lot of the bare knuckle fighting championship fights, they, they, they can go out early, you know? Most of them don't make it. It's five, five two-minute rounds, correct? Uh-huh. Yep. And a lot of them are knockouts well before the fifth round. But a lot of the fights that we watched actually went five rounds. They actually commented to me, um, some of the people from Bare Knuckle were like, yeah, these fights are like, they're going, you know? And, and um, uh-huh. But what I loved was afterwards watching these fighters and the pride they had in each other. And mm-hmm. I think it was just such a cool thing to see about the sport because win or lose, like the idea that you guys are getting out there, there's so much respect for each other. And, you know, there's all the pomp and circumstance before with like the music and the steel. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, the guy, the one guy came up and he's going like this to the other. <laughs> and afterwards, uh-huh. they're, like, hugging each other. And, and then I saw them later sitting next to each other, like, mm-hmm. talking. and I'm like, this is pretty awesome. You know, there's an element, a, a theatrical element to the, you know, beforehand. But, but the deep level of respect... Um, it seemed really genuine and and is that something that is just a common thread throughout this sport in general?
1: For the most part I feel like throughout the entire combat world sport like it takes a specific person and obviously a very someone has to have a story to get into fighting and to want to be a professional fighter and it's true like is like crazy as it is to say, but like you and that person shared a moment that nobody else can. You physically went in there and you had every skill in your body to try to beat that person. And it's not even that you want to hurt them or kill them or cause pain. Like before I fight, I say a prayer to like protect my opponent and to protect myself. And I say, like, help the, like, no matter what happens, help my opponent to be able to continue their career, help there not to be any long-term injury. It's, it's all about just competing in a sport. And yeah, we are going out there to win and we are going out there to try to like, you know, to try to do whatever it takes to come out with a victory. But you respect that person so much because it is a sacrifice to get into the cage. Every time you fight, it's a sacrifice. And you're, um, you know, you're doing something that not a lot of people can do and you re- you respect the other person because you know how hard you had to work. So I respect how hard they work to get there as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. And I think, I think that's probably true for every sport, but it's even more intense when it's this one-on-one competition. Yes.
1: And, mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, it, it's, it was, it was very, um, it was, it was heartwarming to see. And, um, the other thing I personally love about the sport is, and and I felt it in the room that night because Dave Feldman, the president of Bare Knuckle, announced the partnership with the Travis mm-hmm. Mannion Foundation, and my dad and I stood in the ring, and we went in after I think it was the second fight, and you know I'm in heels like platforms, so they weren't spiked. Yeah. <laughs> Let me wear my shoes onto the into the ring, but uh-huh. I over and like the fight before was a pretty bloody fight and I was like oh my gosh but we stepped in and Dave started to share about the Travis Manning Foundation and the work we do with veterans and families of the fallen and the response from the crowd was and and again it's on September 11th and Mm -hmm. it was it was really palpable in there like we Mm -hmm. felt the love for our military community, and I think, I think the sport in general. Um, I think there's a a really cool kinship between um, the military community and, and the combat um, arts world. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Either. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but you know, again, I I told you like all, all my veteran friends, all my military friends, very familiar with bare knuckle fighting championship. And obviously with UFC, MMA, all, the, the entire world. But I think it, it goes both ways. And, and there was actually, the, the main event was a guy, you're gonna, is it Thiago? Thiago. Thiago. Yes. Uh-huh. And that was an awesome fight. Went all the way to the end to decision and um, he won. Uh, and, and he actually, when they interviewed him afterwards, he just said like, I want to thank, the United States of America and those that serve and protect us, something to that effect. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was like, wow, that for him to be thinking about that after, you know, after this big fight, that's the first thing. I think he thanked his mom and dad too, which was so incredibly sweet. Yeah. But um, but I love that relationship. And so we're so excited to help that relationship grow and help show everything that Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship is all about. Um, and I think, you know, I think you are such an incredible um, representation of this world and this world of fighting. And I think you do it so well. Um, so I I give you so much credit for, you know, one of the things you said earlier was you talked about how social media is like, you know, the most perfect image you can get of yourself. and. Mm-hmm large social media following. There. <laughs> but while, again, you put some beautiful pictures of yourself, you do keep it real too. I you, do keep it real. too. <laughs> you definitely do. It's, uh, you know, I think you, you posted something the other day and you were in like sweatpants and a t-shirt and, you know, and, and, and I love that you, you know, you're not trying to put these perfectly posed bikini pics and in, in every, uh, in every post that every you picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, I think that speaks to like how we have to overcome this stigma of, I, I call it, and I, I keep hearing the term. It's like this toxic positivity that everything <laughs> is perfect all the time for everyone. And if people just see images of Paige Van Zant at her best at all times, you know, that could be detrimental for a 15 year old girl that says, Oh Yeah be her you know and so I love the idea that again you keep it real you show like hey this is me and I'm not feeling well today or this is me I just rolled out of bed and and so keep doing that because thank you yeah along with with your book the the platform that you have to to help young girls especially work through some pivotal years um, it's important and, and and it plays probably just as important of a role as it does when you step into that ring every time you, you go to fight, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think people too, like in Instagram, I definitely, it's just like one picture, but if you follow on mine and my husband's YouTube channel, it's called A Kick-Ass Love Story. And I don't think there's a single video in there that I have makeup on because I just don't wear makeup normally. And it's our regular life and it's just, you know, it's day by day of the things that my, me and my husband go through. So that's why I like, I do like to show the real part of it because, you know, these organizations, they like to, they like to show like, this is the like ideal picture person that we have. And you'll see them put forward, like just the best selves of everybody. And I want to show that, like, I am a very real person and it doesn't get more real, more real than me.
0: Yeah, and and you know one of the things that I also saw with you, and I thought it was a little piece on um, cutting weight, and you talked mm-hmm. about this experience um, where you were fighting one hundred and fifteen, but really you had kind of kicked up, and you were more one hundred and twenty five, but you were trying to cut down to that one hundred and fifteen, mm-hmm. and and it was it was about this, and and some of the things you were saying brought me back to my brother. You were talking about wearing the sauna suit and like the plastic suit and getting in the sonnet. Mm -hmm. And I remember my brother Travis cutting weight in high school, and he would put black trash bags on. He didn't have the sonnet.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: He'd chew. He'd get like big packs of juicy fruit or big red gum, and he'd sit there with and he'd just chew the gum and spit. (laughs) Spit. And... (sighs) You talked about, but yours actually like one step further, you were like four and a half pounds out from having to get to your weight the day before. And so you were in the bathroom. You've got the door closed, taped off. You've got a blow dryer running. You've got six bags of Epsom salt and alcohol in the tub. You're running the waters on the faucet as hot as it can go just to steam up the whole room. And then mm-hmm. you, got your friend, who is taking a credit card and pushing, <laughs> scraping the sweat off so you can produce more sweat. Mm-hmm. And she leaves and comes back and finds you passed out in the bathroom. And you said that was the moment where like her and your parents were like, we're not gonna support this. Like we're not yeah. gonna support. And, and it showed a picture of you the next day where you entered in the fight, you made the weight, but You just had like your your eyes were black underneath. It had just finished a fight. You were just so dehydrated.
1: So dehydrated, yeah. And that was a moment too. It's like you know what? Yes, I love fighting. Yeah, it's my sport. It's my calling. What I want to do. But there's so many other things I can do with my life. Like I, you know, I can be working any sort of regular job. I could be successful at anything I try why am I doing something that's killing me? And it, I truly was giving myself an eating disorder to try to yo-yo down to these low weight classes. And, um, and a big reason that I was fighting at that small weight classes, I was an in, in-betweener. The UFC only had 115 or 135 and you had to choose. So there, luckily they did open the 125 weight class and, um, after that fight, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like my parents were like, we're done supporting you. If you're going to keep doing all of that just to make weight.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that. Again, you shared that story publicly because I think that's something else that like, you know, a lot of women struggle with and, and mm-hmm. they internalize this ideal for the perfect body and the perfect mm-hmm. image, and, um, a, a standard, and of course you were doing it for a fight, but I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, this this idea of body positivity and, and being okay with where you are, you know, and mm-hmm. um, there's one thing about being healthy, but, mm-hmm. and and having, you know, a nice physique, but doing it, you know, in the way where you're actually killing yourself mm-hmm. by doing is it is awful. yeah Yeah,
1: well and i want people to know too like especially if you're watching mixed martial arts if you're watching watching these girls or any even the guys like all the pictures we take fight week and all the fight week we're all dehydrated we're all cutting weight we're all extremely unhealthy trying to make weight so the pictures you see, we only look like that for one week or even like that looking that good. I look that good for an hour and then I start rehydrating and I start like becoming a normal human being again. So like, yeah, I look like, oh my gosh, I look so good when I weigh in. I don't look like that. Like that's just for one hour to make weight and then I'm healthy. Yeah.
0: It's, again, it speaks to this, like, this culture of us looking at one image or one snapshot mm-hmm. and being like, well, that's how it is all the time for them. And it's not like that for me. So, um, Paige, it's been so awesome to have you on the show. And and again, it was, I knew right when I met you, you were just, I was like, I like this girl. Um, oh. <laughs> and you were just, you know, you have a really positive outlook and I think, you have such a great story of overcoming a lot. And, you know, I encourage everybody to pick up Paige's book, Rise, Surviving the Fight of My Life. Um, you know, we didn't dive too much into it, but but there's some hard stuff in there and there's some real stuff in there. And, and I think, not only is this book important for young kids that are kind of coming through and, and finding their way, but it, it's important for all of us to see how we can overcome these struggles and, and find our way again. And, and one of the things that I always do before we leave the podcast is I ask one final question, and that is, what does is re- living a resilient life mean to you?
1: Gosh, um, living a resilient life for me, I think, is choosing to keep going, even when things are hard. And it's nothing that no, nobody else can help you through. It's a, a battle you have to fight with yourself, but it's choosing to continue even though everything's telling you to quit.
0: That is actually one of my hashtags I put up pretty much on, I mean, even today I posted a picture of me and a dog. And I put uh, tag, keep going, because I love that. Like, just keep going. One, yeah. one in front of the other, keep going every single day. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome words. And you have to keep going because we have to watch yep. you yep. in November. <laughs> uh, I want to be at that fight. I'm so looking forward to seeing you, um, not just through your career with Bare Knuckle and with Combat Arts, but I think there's a lot more to... What your story is going to be moving forward? Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of big things for you, and um, and just keep pushing out that message of overcoming and uh, you know everything you do to set a really I think really positive tone for females in general. It's um it's good stuff. Thank you. And um really proud of of everything you're doing. So thank you, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the Resilient Life podcast page. Yep, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I love today's guest, Paige Van Zandt. Uh, Incredible conversation about her journey from dancer to mixed martial arts to now bare knuckle fighting. And I think it's so important to hear stories like Paige's where she talks about everything she's overcome, and I think she pulled it all together at the end. Uh, Living a resilient life is just about making sure that you keep going. Um, Really great words and um, excited to share this one with you. Please make sure that you like and subscribe to the Resilient Life Podcast and share with your friends. Thanks again for joining.